The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that knows the Pittsburgh Pirates always go to arbitration. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and I hope your eyes are not stuck, rolled up in your head. Ah, uh, yes. What a great way to start this Friday edition of Baseball Barbacast. Doesn't look like the Pirates are going to arb with anybody, which is, again, really out of character. But maybe Arrington was just like, no, we, we, we can't do that. We have to avoid people making that joke. And Jake Mintz said, I don't care. It is January 12th. We have a lot to talk about. We are going to hit some arbitration stuff in the second half of the show. Although, admittedly, that is not nearly as interesting as some of the other things that have happened. We got Marcus Stroman signing with the Yankees, uh, reportedly. We've got a very interesting trade between the Cubs and the Dodgers, as well as the terms on the Shota Imanaga contract. Uh, the Braves uh, giving us some news on this Friday morning, one piece of which I don't believe Jake has seen yet, which will be kind of fun to reveal to him. Um, and then we'll hit a couple things at the end, and then we will say goodbye and wish you a wonderful weekend. But Jake, because this... Here, baseball universe revolves around the New York Yankees. We, of course, begin in the Bronx, just short uh, distance from your apartment up there in Harlem to talk about Marcus Stroman, who we are. We talked about this on Wednesday, uh, as you informed me that there had been some rumors connecting the Yankees and Marcus Stroman. So we already started to kind of have the conversation and think about what it would mean to have Marcus Stroman signing with the Yankees. Uh, but now it seems like it's going to happen. We have reports that it will be a three-year deal or, or a two-year uh, guarantee, two years, $37 million. A third-year option would convert to a player option if Marcus Stroman throws 140 innings in 2025, which seems very realistic. He basically came just short of that over the last two seasons with some weird injuries. But I'm sure for him, again, this is a guy that turned down a $21 million player option for 2024 from the Cubs to hit the market again. That AAV goes down to something closer to 18, but it is still definitely an opportunity for him to guarantee himself around $55 million over the next few seasons. So we already kind of hit on Wednesday that the fit with him as a baseball uh, player on the baseball team, and we can talk about that more too. But obviously, there's a little bit, as is the case with Marcus Stroman, there's usually a lot more involved, especially when he's signing with the New York Yankees. So where would you like to begin here? Let's talk about him as a pitcher mm -hmm. to begin. So yeah. he's kind of underrated, I think. If you look I, I at so. yeah. lowest ERAs since the start of 2019, he is 12th in baseball, which is not elite but is very good ahead of Luis Castillo, Framber Valdez, Yu Darvish, Dylan Cease, Pablo Lopez. Like he is a good pitcher, right? Yeah. The only, here are the guys with a lower ERA than him. Kershaw, Cole, Scherzer, Max Fried, Julio Arias, Bieber, Gallen, Gray, Wheeler, Corbin Burns, Sandy Alcantara. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. He's got a 3-3-8 and 638 innings since then. Last year in the first half, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. 
before he had hip injury that kind of derailed the season. Now, he wasn't quite as good as his surface level numbers would suggest in the first half, but he was definitely an all-star level pitcher. Once he had those hip issues, he just wasn't the same in the second half. So strictly from an on-the-mound perspective, he's a completely legitimate number three starter yeah. on a on the Yankees. Like, if you're going to go Cole... The I guess you would still have Rodon throw the second. <laughs> yeah, still game. still going to be Carlos. Right. Like that's what they're counting on. So yeah, right. they're 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 Cole paying Rod- to do that. Cole right. Rodon, Cortez, Stroman, Clark Schmidt, good yep. rotation. I yep. would be surprised if they go and get another big signing now. So that's Stroman the pitcher. Mm-hmm. I think he's underrated. Then there's Stroman the character. Okay, and boy is he a character. There are many layers to Marcus Stroman who he is. And how baseball, which is a very white sport, interacts with outspoken uh, black athletes. I think we talk about this on the pod all the time. Multiple things can be true at the same time, right? Like there have been moments where Marcus Stroman has been unreasonable and has uh, liked tweets uh, that were, can I, anti Italian? I mean, he liked to tweet with an Italian, an outdated Italian slur in it. And there was one that was vaguely anti-Semitic when he was supporting Kyrie Irving. Now, I think that those are things that he needs to be accountable for as an adult human being in the world with a platform. However, it is somewhat understandable. And our friend Bradford William Davis tweeted about this, like how Marcus Stroman has become Marcus Stroman, where he received so much unfair criticism during his time with the Mets, like he was critiqued for wearing a do-rag on the mound, right? There was a lot of there was a lot of criticism that he received that he would not have received otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it makes him a very complicated figure as he returns to New York. Sure. Yeah. And, and of course he has the the personal background of he's he's a New York guy. When he was traded to the Mets, his dad said openly, like half joking, being like, yeah, I kind of wish it was the Yankees. We had Brian Cashman at the time being like, we didn't think Stroman was going to be a difference maker. And so that's why we didn't go after him. And then later Stroman was tweeting about being like, oh, the Yankees are like, what are they doing? Like, I'm better than all the pitchers that they have, which has turned out to be, again, he said that except for Cole and Severino. And, you know, this is the thing, like Stroman, in a lot of cases, he's an outspoken and and I think when we talk about specifically his past quote unquote beef with the Yankees and being like, ooh, like Stroman has to delete tweets and he has deleted tweets in the past. At the same time, and we'll find I'm obviously it's the New York media and this would happen anywhere. People are gonna ask about it. This dude doesn't care. Like he it's not like he's really ever hid from anything he said. And that has at sometimes been, I think, truly problematic and at times offensive, and at times he needs to be held accountable for that. And I think that that will probably remain true because it's not like Marcus Stroman is suddenly going to change as a person. Now, as for looking forward, like it's pretty straightforward, you know. And, and I saw, you know, talking Jake, uh, you know, a Yankees fan that we are friendly with, we've had in this show talking. Like he made it very clear in his little reaction video. It's like, yeah, if he pitches well, he and you could say this about everyone in New York, but obviously, like the context here is important. He will be one of everyone's favorite Yankees, and if not, everyone will boo him like crazy. And Stroman knows we signing up for the thing is he's never going to duck any of this stuff, right? Like he's, he's going to take it head on. I'm sure he want clearly has his comfortable pitching in New York. He's pitching the AL East. He's not scared of anything, but it does set up a certainly uh, interesting context. Now it's a little different than giving a guy, he's not getting a $200 million contract or this contract that Cole or, or even Rodon got, right? It's not as big of a commitment, 
but it is still a very important part of their offseason as they try to fill back in. You know, him versus Michael King will be a very interesting thing to kind of watch and compare in 2024, at least. And yeah, I, I said on Wednesday, like, I think this is a great fit baseball wise. Like, I think remove all the other stuff, like, it's exactly the kind of pitcher I think can succeed there. I think one of Stroman's strengths is, you know, besides 2018, and even that, like, he probably got pretty unlucky. He's really never been bad. Like, he's never had a FIP over four in any season, you know, in nine years. Like, that's an impressive amount of consistency. So, I think he's exactly what they need. I don't, I agree with you. I, I would be surprised if they, and then we got a report that they made an offer to Snell. I'd be surprised if they, you know, are the highest bidder there. But it doesn't surprise me that Boris is trying to keep the Yankees involved from a Snell market standpoint. Um, are they interested in Cease? We'll see. But I think this is a really nice move. And, and without the, he is as a character, makes it more interesting. Strictly baseball, this makes a ton of sense. Oh, yeah. And he's super fun to watch on the mound yeah. when he's cooking. Like incredibly loose, tons of sinkers, a lot of contact, fields his position better than basically anybody else in the game. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. was a college infielder, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, if he's good, He's going to play up the Yankiness in a way that is going to be awesome for Yankees fans and make him an even bigger villain for everybody else. And that's a good thing. It's an interesting character. I actually just, before we move on, I want to read word for word what Bradford wrote, just like a couple of the tweets, because I, I think he is very, Stroman is complicated, right? And I think Bradford sums this up well. Since the Strowman to the Yankees rumors started, I've noticed everyone wants to bring up the dude's annoyances and moral failings without acknowledging any asymmetry in his experience as a black athlete. It's like no one has the capacity to conceive why a black athlete who dealt with that much nonsense didn't delineate between the various forms of criticism he received, some of it neutral, more of it plainly racist. As I said earlier, Strowman or any athlete does not have a right to treat anybody any old way, but his hostility is not only a deeply human trait, if anything, it shows y'all are more alike than you probably realize. Check your mirror before you leave the house. And like, there are people in the media who I know and who I like who are like, oh my God, Stroman in New York, he's impossible to deal with. Like he's difficult, quote, difficult to deal with because he has experienced these other things. Like I would be difficult to deal with too. And so I think that what I would hope is that as he moves to New York, we start this new chapter, we can kind of open, we can turn a new page with the way that we as the media uh, talk about and think about Marcus Stroman, give him the benefit of the doubt um, and just enjoy his quirks in a way that can be entertaining and humorous instead of kind of this more of a high stakes memorandum on who he is as a, a athlete within the space. Sure. And I will say like, if just keeping it on in terms of just like how he interacts with people on Twitter, let's move the more problematic stuff aside, like the dude likes to reply, right? Dude is loves to get into it with people, right? Online. He is. And and like I said, I believe like he see, he sees shit. Right. And so that's fine. Like that's his prerogative to do that. I am curious how that evolves, if at all, as he moves into it a much more, not that he's been in like, to be clear, it's not like people haven't been paying attention to him on the Cubs or the Mets or even the Blue Jays. But this, of Different course, level. brings it to a new level. And so we will. I, I, I'm at the very least curious to see how he adjusts, if at all. Because I think part of, I, it's possible he won't change whatsoever. I'm not advocating for like him to receive hate or for him to be confrontational online. But like this is better than another interchangeable, boring baseball player. Marcus yeah. Stroman is an interesting and compelling character in our sport, for better or worse. Right? Mm-hmm. And as someone who covers the game from an entertainment level... 
that is a good thing. Him in the biggest market is a good thing. Now, I don't want it to get like spicy and bad, but if it's spicy and good, we're all for that. Let's move on. Uh, so Marcus Stroman will not be pitching for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, as we now can't learn, do both. He, he's, he can't, he's, they, they said, let tw- well, he's, he had the option, right? $21 million to pitch for the Cubs in 2024. Uh, and he was like, no, I'd rather go to, go to New York. And, and that's what he did. Um, so the Cubs were like, oh, well, we should probably find another pitcher because Marcus Stroman's not going to be here anymore. And so they went on and did that and signed left-handed Japanese pitcher Shota Imanaga to a contract that I think ended up being slightly less complicated than we thought, but still definitely less overall period than we thought. It appears to be uh, somewhere in the range of a three-year, I got I got to pull it up again because it seems like it can max out at five years and $80 million with options that he can, that the team can take, that can extend it to five years. It seems like the guarantee is more two or three years. Whenever I see a contract like this, I get a little jealous, not just because he's going to make $80 million, but because I want to have a complicated contract at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. I would like to sign some contract that gives me something if I accomplish something. Yes. You know, I want it to be really complex and I've never had that experience. So So I want that. Just to correct myself, four year, $53 million guarantee, fifth year team option that could reach $80 million. They have to decide after 2025 and 2026, whether to exercise the option in 2028. So it seems like he'll be on the Cubs for at least the next handful of seasons. And, you know, again, we sort of already mentioned it on Wednesday, but it is it is an interesting fit in a rotation that already doesn't necessarily feature a ton of velo, but some good funk, some great control, some great command. And I think in general, what we learned while we did spend a lot of time leading up to his posting window deadline, being like, oh, Imanaga, great value, way underrated compared to Yamamoto. And I think that all could still be true. But I also think we got some reporting, which doesn't shock me, that some teams were just like, yeah, this guy's a back-end starter. And I think that's totally possible, and I think that that's fine. I know some teams looked at him and be like, well, what the hell? Like, Red Sox, how could you not get this done for this amount of money? Giants, how could you not get this done for this amount of money? And there's just, like, we just have to remember that the team's internal evaluations, not to mention the medical side of things, which we never really know any about unless everything goes totally wrong, can impact a player's market in a way that we don't necessarily know. I think that this contract is exactly what I would have expected when the offseason first began. And in that sense, I'm not especially shocked. I think we started to get excited and thinking it was going to get wild. But this and even the Stroman deal is a little bit more in line with, I think, I think what I expected. Jordan, are you familiar with the term barnyard? Uh, in, in what context? I, I know the word in English, what a, bar, what a barn, but pl- please tell me. In a wine context, are you familiar no, with the word barnyard? No chance. So barnyard in a wine context refers to like a funky, quote, a horsey manure animal, almost poo-poo type of smell because it is funky. Okay. There's a funk to it. And so I would like to call the Cubs rotation the barnyard because of of all the funk that we're going to be seeing from their pitchers in 2023. What do you, or 2024? What do you think? The barnyard. Yeah. Uh, it's just to try it out. Let, let, let Cubs fans can let us know uh, if they again, like it, it maybe requires a little bit too much explanation. But I understand the funk, the funky the aroma, the stuff like the funky oh, aroma, like that's nasty, but like kind of in a good way. <laughs> right? Exactly. Barnyard so you, is nasty in a good way. But to be clear, like is that something that you 
enjoy again as you've gotten into yeah. wine you're into the yeah. barnyard that's a this is not just something it's yeah. not a concept like you're bringing this up because you're you want it to smell like shit sorry smell no funky. no 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 <laughs> let's move on earthy what about earthy how does that fit in isn't that a, a earthy word you use? again like i'm a novice but there's an overlap between earthy and barnyard but there's they're definitely different there's like a, a barnyard is a positive funk Okay. Is how I describe Great. it. And that's what the Cubs rotation is. A positive fuck. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah, the they don't, they don't, they, and, and by the way, like it is a good, now Imanaga, again, his issue is more fly balls. So it is interesting going from Stroman, you know, a ground ball king to Imanaga, who's the opposite of that. And we know that the Cubs strength is, is their infield defense, at least certainly up the middle. So interesting fit in that regard, but. I'm excited to see this guy pitch. I think the Cubs uh, right now, they used to be horrible at pitching development. And now I think they're one of the best teams in baseball at identifying and developing pitchers from mm -hmm. a more complex uh, analytic standpoint. And I think they're going to make some tweaks to Imanaga that they think can make him reduce the home run rate and maybe get the ball on the ground more or induce more swings and misses. That is also a perfect transition to the other big move that the Cubs made in the last couple of days, which is a trade with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Because the Dodgers had a situation where, because they're signing all these famous players, their 40-man roster and making all these trades for famous players, are their 40-man roster is pretty crowded, right? It's usually an issue for the, for the Dodgers. But in this case, they had a player in Michael Bush, who is, as our good friend uh, Foolish Baseball has made very clear, older than Juan Soto and has demolished the upper levels of the minor leagues over the last few seasons. And yet, in a similar sense with Von Grissom, but in an even more extreme way, the Dodgers just don't really have a spot for him or don't believe this is someone we have to keep. And so they decided the Dodgers should trade Michael Bush, as well as reliever Yancy Almonte, to the Chicago Cubs in exchange for two lower-level prospects, Jackson Ferris and outfielder Zaire Hope, who I will get to in a second. But I mentioned that as a transition because the Cubs trading away Jackson Ferris, who they gave $3 million to at a high school last year or in 2022, was, I think, a sign of their trust that, you know what? Like, it's not easy to part with a guy like Jackson Ferris, really talented young left-handed pitcher, but we've been really good at turning in like we're we can churn these guys out now, right? We can trust that we can get another guy. In the same way that the Dodgers are like, okay, Michael Bush might be pretty good. We're going to be fine. You know, we're the Dodgers. Well, <laughs> we got more coming and we already have a great major league roster and all those things are fine. But it is a very fascinating move for, for both sides here. And let's focus on the, the Cubs-Michael Bush side because what I found so interesting in the moments after this trade was you had some people being like, oh, brilliant. Like the Cubs have solved their first base problem. And then you had some people like, oh, brilliant. Like the Cubs have solved their third base problem. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, which is it? Now, we have some reporting so far that it sounds like they do view him as a first baseman. Michael Bush has been a plus hitter since his time at UNC. Defensively, not so much. They've tried him. He's played. He has played third. He has played some second. Obviously, the, the Dodgers did not see him as a second baseman once they decided to move Mookie there full-time. Third baseman, they're fine with what they had. The Cubs have an interesting infield situation now where – Michael Bush, it seems like they are leaning more into him as a first baseman, even though Matt Mervis is still there. Third baseman is still projects to be Nick Madrigal. I know we are like the lowest on Nick Madrigal. They also are still a good landing spot for Matt Chapman, potentially. Patrick Wisdom is still there. 
yes, Patrick Wisdom is still there. Is again, how much is he a third baseman, first baseman? I don't know. It's an interesting makeup of, of the position player group, but getting a guy, you know, six years of team control, same thing as Grissom, someone you believe in as a major league hitter that's going to get those reps. They will, and even if it's a DH, whatever. I really like this a lot for Chicago. I don't think I. I don't think he's going to play third. I think the Cubs care too much about infield defense to kind yep. of stick him over at third. I agree. They see that as a real strength. Yancy Almate is a very fascinating one. He was ass for the Rockies for a while. Uh, he had a 7.55 ERA in 47 innings in 2021. Part of that is Coors Field. Part of that is reliever volatility. Part of that is you were bad. Like you cannot have a 7.55 ERA and tell me you're good. <laughs> then he went to the Dodgers who were like this. And he had a 1.02 ERA in 35 innings. Also not sustainable. <laughs> Probably right. somewhere in between those two. Mm -hmm. Struggled in 2023, 5.06 in 48 innings. He's obvious, mm -hmm. some injuries. Very volatile pitcher. Good dude. We spent some time with him in the Bahamas a couple years ago when we were at the uh, derby down there. Just a good bullpen piece to add. Like yeah. the Dodgers didn't need him. And I would imagine that the Cubs, the Cubs think they can make some tweaks. Um, now that and being said, whenever we see a, a quality but volatile player leave the Dodgers, mm -hmm. there's this bias for me that's like, well, if the Dodgers couldn't figure it out, then no one can. But we literally a year ago saw Cody Bellinger go to the Cubs and put some things together. So well, it is important to remember that the Cubs are a great develop or so that the Dodgers are great at development, but no one's perfect. And maybe the Cubs clap their hands and make some tweaks to Yancy Almonte that gets him back on track. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, Bellinger, obviously, the Dodgers Cubs parallel is, is is perfect, but look at the Cubs bullpen last year that was getting by with Julian Merriweather and Mark Leiter Jr. and Michael Rucker, right? Like key like got these are Yancy Almonte types, you know? And so in that sense, I think that there's a really good chance that he could, you know, kind of assuming health could be a good part of their bullpen. Um, but I do want to touch on the on the prospects here a little bit because from the Dodgers side here, you know, I compared on Twitter this to the Grissom move where the Braves are bringing in a guy like Chris Sale. It's like, okay, that's a big gamble. I know they extend him. They want him to be, you know, part of their major league team. For the Dodgers, and we see teams with crowded 40-man rosters do this all the time, they're trying to shuffle and, and, and kind of get guys that they don't have to think about in a 40-man context for a while. And so, again, because you have that development infrastructure, because you know you have more talented guys in AAA, let alone already in the major leagues, you can take a bet on a guy like Jackson Ferris, who was one of the top high school pitchers in the draft in 2022, and Zaire Hope, who was an 11th round pick, got $400,000 in the 2023 draft and looked really good on the complex. He was kind of a later, he's a Virginia kid uh, from just north of Fredericksburg, really athletic. Some teams saw him as a pitcher, looked really good in the complex, really, again, like this is the kind of guy that's like, let's, let's see what we got here. Ferris, a little bit more of a known quantity. And listen, like the Dodgers, they, they you're going to take a, a gamble on, on both of those kinds of players because even if they're not helping you until 2027, great. Because if those guys be, Ferris might already be a, a top 100 type. And and for the Cubs, it's it's a trust that you have more of those guys coming. Some of those guys that we talked about on the Cubs con poster that we'd never heard of. <laughs> like that's, that's a sign that they're going to be able to keep those guys coming. So I'm sure it wasn't fun to trade Jackson Ferris, but they had to do stuff. They had to make aggressive moves. And, and as I always say, hell yeah, I'll trade the... the, the I'll trade the teenage pitcher for the 26-year-old hitter who's destroyed AAA for two, two years running. Like, absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm in on that move. So I, I really do like it. 
From the Dodgers side of things, it is another way to trade from a strength. I think when you look at LA and you're like, oh, wow, their system is so good, they should be trading lower level players for big league talent. That big league roster, the starting lineup is so crowded that the upper level depth they have in players who are like, Michael Bush is a big leaguer. Is he good enough to be in the Dodgers starting lineup right now? No, he is not. And so therefore he is surplus. And so trading that surplus in exchange for low level prospects who you could develop into someone who one day is good enough to be a starter on the Dodgers, that is a different type of packaging a bunch of low level prospects at the deadline for a big leaguer who can start in the Dodgers right now. Just the kind of a different way to conceive of that. Yep. Anything so, else on the Cubs or the Dodgers before we take a break? No. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. Um, but yeah, really, really fun trade, and uh, nice to see both those teams. And obviously, Cubs fans. <laughs> a lot, a lot of funny Cubs discourse about how you know Jed was asleep since he hired Craig Council, and then now it's like here we go, you know, Imanaga and this and this funky trade um, in the same week. So we'll see. They definitely still and still a lot, a lot of buzz about them still being aggressive in free agency. So I'm sure they will stay in the news, uh, in the coming weeks. We're setting up for a situation where every team, but the pirates, you can go like this in the, in the, uh, NL central. I think they could win it. (laughs) I think it's every team, right? You can say that about the Cardinals, Brewers, Reds, and Cubs. It's like, I think there might be the favorite Yeah, and sound kind of spicy. I know it's good, but not in a way where like an AL Central where it's just like, oh, like I guess, I guess they could win it, <laughs> right? It's it's, it's, it's a I little guess bit more. They like, could win it. Ooh, ooh. The NL Central is separating itself from the AL Central. I think in recent seasons there were times where it was like the Centrals, and right. I think the NL Central doesn't deserve that anymore. Yes, yes, they did. They they did. They've graduated. Yes, yes. Uh, Mazel tov to that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back here on Baseball Podcast. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman, getting nice and barnyard in here. Now, the you, you informed me right before we started that the Braves have had a flurry uh, of news <laughs> nuggets drop this Friday morning. I know one of them that they extended Alex Anthopoulos until the sun shrinks into a dwarf star and we all melt. But what is the other one? Well, hold on. Let's just knock the Anthopoulos news out of the way. Uh, reportedly extended through 2031. Um, obviously whatever, it's an ownership decision and Braves ownership, Liberty media, it's kind of an amorphous, like, who are we even talking about? Who is making these decisions? But like, duh, he's going to be extended. So Braves jokes. Yeah. Braves deep state extends I, Alex Anthopoulos. <laughs> I do like, does he donate to the Braves foundation? Like, I don't I know. I was going to ask about that. How does that Alex, works? Yes. That I also, is a great question. I'm also fascinated by, um, t- through 2031, like. How did we come up with that year instead of like that's that's kind of, okay first of all the, here's the the obvious way to think about it how many Braves are under contract through 2031 um Riley is I think it's actually just Riley and Harris uh which think about that right like we have these guys that are under like even Acuña with the club option is only through 2028. So 2031 is a long ass time from now. And they're like, great. And, and Anthopolis, I mean, it's it's great. After this offseason and the moves that he's made, this dude has, I mean, honestly, like elevated in a very real way. And, and to think super big picture, 
to think about what we could think about Alex Anthopoulos as an executive in the grander scheme of 21st century baseball. Now, the Braves will probably have to win a couple more World Series to like think of him in this way. Very plausible, right? And 2031, by then, it's like, I'm, I'm excited to, to think about how we think about Alex Anthopoulos. He's so. Cashman with rings. Uh, with Well, Cashman has, he's got some rings, but not recently. You know what I'm saying? I I think yes. Okay. Here's here's my here's my question. Alex Anthopoulos Hall of Famer. That's well that's exactly that's kind of what I'm what I'm getting at. So, Would you say yes or no? Right now? Does he get in right now? <laughs> no, not right now. I'm saying like Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yes. I think we're You think he's a Hall of Famer. He's gonna yeah, because by then at worst the Braves will have won so many games, like in so many division titles and so many playoff appearances and all these things. And it does, they do have a World Series, at least one. So yeah, executives for sure. Anyway, here's what's way more important, Jake. The Braves are bringing back Charlie Culberson as a pitcher. <laughs> so let me read you the tweet. What? From John Heyman. This dropped like just before we we started recording. This is just the greatest, the greatest, greatest news. John Heyman tweets, veteran MLB infielder Charlie Culberson is trying to fashion a second career as a reliever, will go to Braves minors camp as a pitcher. Lifetime one, two, three ERA in seven and a third innings in past mop-up spots. And then this is the best part. Scouting report, quote, great guy, super athletic, throws strikes and has arm strength, dot, 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 has a shot. So let me start off with something. <laughs> If the first two words in your scouting report are great guy, got you suck. It's a bad start. It's That's a true. bad start. If the first two words in your so scouting true. report are bad guy, also a bad start. Okay. <laughs> your what type of guy you are should Shouldn't not be, be not a, no. that can't be first line scouting. Report. I'm happy he's a great guy. Yeah, we we've known that. Why do you think he's stuck? <laughs> we know that, I, right? We love a great guy. I'm a big great guy guy. Yeah. Do I want great guy like to be my fifth reliever in the bullpen? Now, no, no. okay. No. We've seen stories like this before. Guys who their times as position players have clearly been up. Charlie Culberson's time as a position player was seemingly up years ago, and yet he's continued to get jobs as utility guys. As guys, we. but here's the thing. Why does he keep getting cool. jobs? He keeps getting jobs. Why, Jordan? Because he's a great guy. Because he's a great guy. I mean, he was on the Braves. He wasn't even playing. This wasn't even like a, oh, like, we'll just have him around. Like, And it wasn't even like a Jeff Mathis situation where it's like a backup catcher. As long as your you know, starter is durable and willing to play, you don't actually really need him. Whereas, like, the Braves were just burning a bench spot just to keep Charlie around. He was on the active 26-man roster for like a month and a half and yeah, did not like, appear in a game. Did not play, right? So... And that, but they're like, we love this guy so much. And he's pitched seven innings in the big leagues. Now, again, th- let's 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 go back to the scouting report. Okay. So I, I assume John Heyman gets this from the <laughs> Charlie Culberson's agent, right? Here's let me say this. There's no way Charlie Culberson is throwing hard. Okay. Because if Charlie Culberson was throwing 96 in bullpens in a gym somewhere. The scouting report would say up to 96, like throw, has right, up, then right. it would say the rest of it. But it would it say says, that before it says throw strikes. Bingo. It goes great guy, cool, super athletic, great, 
throws strikes and has arm strength. Arm strength is the last of the four. And right. in my mind, if he was throwing cheddar, you would get right to it. It yeah. would be Charlie's be like, hey. up to 94 in, in the gym yep. and he's throwing strikes. Yep. But what do you think he's throwing? Like 89, 90? So just for context, he touched 94 in the big leagues in 2018. That's a okay. long time ago. Okay. Yeah. He did pitch in 2022 and was like, and I think hit 92. Okay. Now, again, when you're coming in in mop-up duty and you're down by 100 and you're, especially 2018 when he was still like an actually important bench player, he's not airing it out, right? And so in that sense, like, I think you would, we don't know, we have not seen Charlie Culberson get on a mound and try and throw as hard as he can. We've not seen that yet. Now, I still agree with your point that if he was throwing 96 during this comeback attempt, we would already know about it by now, I think, right? Um, at the same time, you know, we're going to find out soon. And, Here's what's uh, going to happen. Here's what's yeah. going to happen. Ready? He's going to come to camp. It's going to be 94. I think he, I think he's yeah. going to work up to 94. There is going to be no secondary stuff. Like, it's going to be <laughs> like feel the spin it. Like, there's... If he does, good for him, but I'm skeptical, okay? So he yeah. is going to pitch in a spring training game and look really good. He's going to throw like the seventh inning of a game against like a bunch of double A hitters and look great. And it's going to be like, oh my God, Charlie Culberson, this is crazy. Then he's going to get crushed as spring goes on. He's going to end up on the A's or something oh, for a bad team. He goes somewhere else. I think that's what's going to happen. I think he's, there's no way he makes the Braves bullpen out of camp. Like that's not happening. The Braves bullpen is Thanks stacked. Yeah. Just wanted to, if he does, like we'll make a movie. And if he does make it, when they play like his intro in Truist, it'll be a, this clip of me doubting him. And yes. all the Braves fans will be like, boo, Jake Mitz, <laughs> this, boo. This guy again. This right. Jake Ritz guy. Oh, like, man. like they did this when the Diamondbacks were in the World Series. Like there were clips of of various media members. Oh, right, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't think the Diamondbacks have what it takes. And then it's like Alec Thomas hitting a double. Right. <laughs> if Culberson makes the Braves out of camp, it'll be like, I don't think he's going to make the team out of camp. Like clip of Culberson like striking out Nolan Jones or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And God. so, but the, their bullpen is, is too stacked. To carry, I, I appreciate I, I appreciate your analysis of of how this actually makes sense on their roster. Okay, um, do, does Charlie Culberson throw a major league pitch in twenty twenty four? No, I say no. yes. I say absolutely not. Okay, um, because here is the other problem, right? Like this is I am done being an infielder, so it's not even like two way like, magic. He, he can't go back. <laughs> he can't go back and be like, oh, I mean, again, it seems like he's already been done. Does he throw a pitch in the minor leagues? Oh, man. Right. Because that will really test how... Not that I think this is a publicity stunt. Like, I do think he does want to do this. And also... Like, of course it's not a publicity stunt. For no, 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 what? I'm, what would he no, be? He's not selling no, no, a book. But I'm saying... Okay, to be clear, like... Well, I... Yeah. But, but I, I guess my point is, like... He... Yeah, he wants to be a pitcher. But, like, does he want to go back to Gwinnett and, like, try and figure this out? Maybe. You know? I, 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 I mean, he is... I, that I can't speak to. He is a great guy. That's true. And we love AAA. That's maybe the first most important thing is if you're a great guy. As for your point about the secondary stuff, 
I will point out he has one strikeout in the big leagues, and it was a pretty nasty curveball to Manuel Margot six years ago, which I tweeted a clip of. So again, you know, maybe he's been. I assume if this has been an, an, an earnest attempt, he's that's what he's been doing, right? The dude's been working. He's probably been spinning it all off season. Um, but I think what you sketched out, I agree with. I just think that he's either going to do it with the Braves or he's not going to do it. There is no shot he is going to Oakland to to give it a chance there, in my opinion. But hey, maybe we'll have to get Charlie Culberson on the podcast and uh, and find out. Great so guy. Anyway, great guy. Throw strikes. Super athletic. It reminds <laughs> me of my scouting report from high school where it said excellent student. Exactly. Right. I don't care how good of a student you are if you could throw no. 97. No. Can you can you ball? Uh all right, Jake. Uh Charlie Culberson, I imagine if he does make the big leagues, will be making the minimum. But some players who won't be are the ones who have decided to go likely to arbitration. Yes, go ahead, Jake Vince. Let's explain arbitration very quickly for those sure. of you who do not understand. It's a word that gets thrown around, and I think too often baseball media types like us talk past what this means, right? So gonna I'm going to oversimplify the baseball pay structure, okay? Please. There are obviously edits to this, but just let me go. Every player, when they reach the big leagues, there are six years of team control. Some players have seven. That's where it gets complicated. But most players, the first three years, they make the minimum or close to it. And the next three years before free agency, they are in arbitration. Arbitration, they and the teams negotiate a salary before a certain deadline, which was yesterday. They can agree on a number or they can each file a number for what they should be paid. And then they go to arbitration where a uh, independent panel decides which of those two numbers the player will make that season. Those arbitration numbers go up as the players get older and further on in their careers. Um, did I miss anything? No. I mean, I think you got it. Now, once it gets to arbitration, it's it's one or the other. Then we're, we're no longer compromising. What happens with most arbitration eligible players is what happened yesterday, which is a flood of quote unquote settlements where it's like, I don't want to deal with arbitration. Let's just agree on a number and I know what I'm getting paid and we move forward. Because what arbitration is, is again, it is literally a trial where the players in the teams, the players, members of the front office, usually not the GM, but like, you know, the assistant to the assistant to the assistant, whatever, they come up with a case to explain to an arbitrator, this is why we believe Alec Bohm should make $3.4 million. And then Alec Bohm's agents, someone from, from, you know, Team Boris, goes in there and says, this is why we believe he should make $4 million. And they have all the comparisons and all these things. And eventually the arbitrator rules in favor of the team or the player. And this is something, a, a process that has been talked about because players like Corbin Burns, who've gone through this process and many players who've gone through this process have publicly been like, yeah, it's very weird to go in there and hear the team talk about why you suck. Now, not necessarily why you suck, but why they're like, we don't want to pay you as much as you want. It's a, just a really weird part of the baseball process um, it, from a human relation standpoint, because of course the Brewers are in a lot of cases, it's like these guys love these guys, right? The, the Phillies love Alec Bohm, you know? The Marlins love Luis Arise. The, the Blue Jays love Vlad Jr., right? Like there's all these different things and yet, this is just what the process calls for. Think about how much time and energy Phillies, coaches, development staff, front office have spent getting Alec Bohm to believe in Alec Bohm over the last handful of years. And now they're going to get into a room and tell Alec Bohm why they don't believe in Alec Bohm. Right. Obviously, right. it's more complicated than that. 
But when it boils down to it, that's the situation. Now, Jordan, are are they able to come to an agreement now between now and when the um, now and when the trials are? Yeah, they are. And I think the deadline. So then it's like, what's the point of the deadline? The deadline is when the numbers basically have to be declared publicly. Um, And so that's the deadline. But I believe like Devin Williams already, I think, has worked out a deal where like the deadline passed and it was like, oh, he's going to a trial. And then by the end of Thursday night, it was like, oh, no, they came to an agreement. So not all these guys will actually go to arbitration. This happens over the next few weeks. But it is it is an interesting one. And the, the main takeaway for some of them is you look, you know, Jeff Passon tweeted out the numbers that the players and the teams were requesting, 23 players. I guess that's including Williams, um, who did not reach terms. You see the discrepancy, right? You have a situation like Casey Mize requesting 840K and the Tigers only wanted to give him 815K. And it's like, wow, are you really going to go over this? A guy that has been injured that hasn't even pitched and go in and argue about $25,000. But like, that's just the process. And like the teams and agents are just going to have to do that. So I, I still agree and totally recognize the fan sentiment and be like, this is ridiculous. But in some cases, it is it is more than a million dollars difference. And that's a huge deal to players who believe, especially situations like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who believe that they deserve, even after a season like last year, you know, closer to 20 million than 18 million. And it's with within the teams. This is what the process is giving us. So again, it's you know, in some cases, some of these names and the discrepancies are it's hard not to make, to laugh at to some degree. Being like, all right, like to imagine like the Orioles and Danny Coulomb going in and just going at it for three hours over why he over, you know, $200,000. Like that is, I'm sorry. Like, that's funny to me. Like with all due respect to Danny Coulomb's career. But like, that's the other thing for guys like him, $200,000 to Danny Coulomb, who, who knows what his future MLB earnings are like that. It is a huge deal, right? Vlad Jr. We know he's going to make tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of his career, almost no matter what. But these younger lower level of players, like this is their chance to fight for these, for, you know, these extra tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so in that sense, I, I support that system, but it is, it is funky to, to say the least. The other thing this will give us is more clarification on specific payroll numbers. So when you go on Fangraphs on roster resource and you click on payroll, those arbitration numbers were estimates. Now we have a lot more of them. And so when we say estimated payroll, those estimates are now estimates are now more accurate today than they were two days ago. So that's worth yes. noting. Yes. And with that, semi-related, is that as people like Jeff Paskin reported, like now because teams need reasons to push, you know, procrastinate, 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 this was a deadline that gave teams more payroll clarity, less to worry about and literally functionally do. Right now, in some cases, right. like the Orioles, they now have to deal with arbitration for a bunch of players. Um, but it is a situation where we expect more action on the trade and free agent market because front offices, it's like, okay, well, we're not thinking about arbitration anymore. A lot of teams won't be, as we mentioned, the Pirates, they don't have to worry about this anymore. This is not something their front office has to think about. And so now they can move forward and, and find ways uh, to, to make more additions because they have more understanding of where their payroll is at. The Orioles had 17, 16 or 17 players to negotiate with in arbitration, which was by, I think by far the most yeah, in yep. baseball this year and, and an abnormally large number. Anthony Santander, Danny Coulomb, John Means, Ryan O'Hearn, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Dylan Tate, Jorge Mateo, Ryan Moncastle, Sam Hilliard, who's on the Orioles, Cena Perez, Cole Irvin, Keegan Aiken, Jacob Webb, Ramon Urias, Tyler Wells, Ryan McKenna. That is a lot to do as like an right. office Yep. Right, Those are tasks that take a lot of time. I am not particularly surprised that the Orioles have not made the trade that we're all expecting them to make. 
Because on one hand, it behooves them to wait it out to see how the market develops. And on the other, all the people who work for the Orioles are busy doing this Mm -hmm. and are spending less time analyzing who they should give up and who they should get. Yeah. And well, they they will still continue to because Coulomb and O'Hearn and Hayes and Perez and Webb, like, didn't come to an agreement, right? And when you have that many, it's going to be hard to get get through to everyone without arbitration, but it definitely makes a difference. They're going to agree to terms with multiple of those five guys, I would imagine. Totally, totally. So anyway, but that's just that's just something to consider. And, and at the very least from, uh, you know, people like us who are waiting for moves to talk about, I think that this will probably spur some action. I still believe Boris is going to drag some of his top guys into February. I, I, I do. Um, but... In general, you know, we got another move like Stroman. We're starting to see some trades. I would love to see uh, some more action in the coming days. All right, Jake, a couple more quick topics uh, that we wanted to uh, hit uh, before we say goodbye. Uh, which one would you like to begin with? I guess the, the one, um, now we already, of course, Jake revealed, you know, I was on my honeymoon for five days. I was offline. The only move I saw was the Mitch Hanniger-Robbie Ray trade, but I did not see that the Mariners had acquired Luke Rayleigh from the Rays for shortstop Jose Caballero. So that was quite a shock when Jake revealed that to me earlier this week. Quite a shock. Quite a shock. Um, it was also quite a shock for Luke Rayleigh, who was also on his honeymoon. Now, fortunately, Luke Rayleigh was not totally offline and, like me, had access to the, you know, the, I guess the cellular network. <laughs> and so he was informed while he was on his honeymoon, I believe in St. Lucia, uh, not in St. Thomas, that he had been traded from the Rays to the Mariners. Many people have found out they have been traded from the Rays to the Mariners, although I don't know how many of them were on their honeymoon. So I, I, I when I saw that and he had a, a funny interview on LB Network Radio about it, and I was just like, yeah, damn. He just like me for real. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> which part I think the narrative with this is that's so crazy that's so funny I would be pissed dude mm. because when you're on your honeymoon something I've never been on but I would imagine it's fresh for you so tell me if I'm right or wrong yep. you want to unplug and you want to spend every ounce of energy every waking moment thinking about nothing except for the experience that you're on with the person you love mm-hmm. and yep. Getting traded is a huge moment in your life that you then need to think about all these like little logistical things. Oh, I have to do spring training in Arizona now. We need to find a place to live. Mm-hmm. Only have a month and I have to do that. Where are we going to live in Seattle? I have to move on. Mm-hmm. All these things. True. I'm on my honeymoon. I don't want to think about that. Can't yeah. we just like, couldn't the, the Rays and Mariners have just done this guy a solid and waited like four days? Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, do you think Eric Neander knew Luke Rayleigh was on his honeymoon? Like, I do wonder, like, when they called him. I guess his agent probably called him first. But I I, I imagine, like, they call his agent. And they're like, you know, Neander's like, hey, you know, we're we're moving Luke in in a deal with Seattle. And then the agent's like, oh, God, like. Not looking forward to this. I think. Now, fortunately, Luke Rayleigh clearly, because he's done interviews about it and had a lot of very funny quotes, had a very funny attitude towards it. It didn't seem like he was like, this ruined my week. But I do agree with your general sentiment. It is pretty funny. This should be in the new CBA. Ready? (laughs) If you're a player, you register a week of honeymoon time. You go on the honeymoon list Mm -hmm. where you cannot be traded or released During your honeymoon stint, you are not Mm. transactionable. 
during now, honeymoon time. Wait, but but is does this apply honeymoon not wedding? I actually do think honey wedding you can still get you can get released during a wedding. Yeah, yeah, not during. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not during there, there's so much chaos during a wedding, right? You got a lot going on. Honeymoon yeah. is decompression. Yeah, I agree. The, the last thing on Rayleigh is this is the fourth time he's been traded. Underrated, bizarre Luke Rayleigh thing is that he was drafted first time by the Dodgers. Yeah. First time he's been <laughs> traded on his honeymoon. <laughs> honeymoon. Yes. As far as we know. I mean, I assume. <laughs> it seems like he's been with the same uh, woman for a while. But um, weird Luke Rayleigh thing is that the Dodgers traded him to the Twins and then traded back for him and then traded him away again. So this is the fourth time Rayleigh's been dealt. So it seems like it, this is definitely true. Having talked to people who have been traded before, like you, if you, if you've never been traded before, there's nothing right. But like, once you've been traded once you're like, Oh, I can get traded at any minute. So I bet really who had already been traded three times. It was like, Oh, like even he's like, yeah, like this is a thing that can happen to me. So in that sense, while I still agree with every, all of your honeymoon sentiments, as you will learn someday, I hope you don't get traded during your honeymoon. That would be bad news for me. Um, I won't trade you. I was, I guess I'll just put that out there now. Like, I don't plan on making any Jake Mintz related roster moves while you're on your honeymoon in a year from now or whatever. Okay. So I'll just put that on there. I promise. Jordan. Yeah. That means a lot. Thanks, man. You got it. Uh, anyway, so that was funny. So shouts out to Luke Rayleigh. I look forward to telling Luke Rayleigh about this exact experience, uh, that he was also traded during my honeymoon. So I'm looking forward to telling him about that at some point in uh, 2024. Uh, any other pieces of news, Jake, you want to cover before do another piece of housekeeping before we, uh, before we say goodbye? Uh, I don't have news, but I, uh, now that I'm back in America, mm-hmm. I spent some time digging around on old baseball players yesterday. Oh, yes. And I stumbled upon a guy I just wanted to kind of share you with. We've done dead ball Mad Libs in the past, but I, this is just... Something I did not know about. I'm not sure how I didn't know about it. Do you know about a gentleman named Arlie Latham? Arlie. Arlie Latham. Um, Latham sounds familiar. Is this guy in the Hall of Fame? No, but he was worth 30 war over his season. Okay. And won the 1886 World Series. Who could forget? Okay. With, With who? The St. Louis gobbledygook. No, the St. Louis okay. Browns. I, yeah. So forgive me for not remembering who won the 1886 World Series. Uh, please tell me. Please tell me more. Um, so there's I, a lot I, of notable I, I, things. I do vaguely recognize, like, this is someone that sounds like, was he an infielder, maybe? That, um, that's but any, a anyway. weird guess, but yeah, third base. He, um, third base, yeah. first of all, he died at age 92 in 1952. Which is just against all odds. Like, congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, his nickname was the freshest man on earth. Mm. So not barnyard. Not barnyard. Okay. Lavender. Continue. <laughs> okay. Proceed. Tell me more about the freshest man on earth. So this is from uh, an article written by uh, Scott Kornberg. Uh, for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp Medium, uh, because I believe Mr. Latham played for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp way back in the day. But I'm just going to read this paragraph. Perhaps most importantly, how does one earn the nickname, the freshest man on earth? For one, Latham was known for a jocular and carefree attitude towards baseball and life. In 1899, his St. Louis Browns were leading the Brooklyn Bridegrooms in the seventh inning when the field began getting dark. The Browns asked the umpire to call the game 
of darkness, but their request was rebuffed. Latham opted to order 12 large candles be brought to the Browns bench, whereupon he lit them all as a signal to the umpire to call the game. The umpire strode over and blew out each candle, only for Latham to light them all again. Wow. That is... I can't, First of all, I know you're, you're, you're in on candles. That's like a thing that you... We've been we've 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 made that more of a more of a regular experience uh, for us here in the in the in our household here. So, but that's this is unique. This is like when Adrian Beltre dragged the on deck circle and like ticked off the umpire, and they had that back and forth. Except way better. <laughs> this is oh yeah. This actually sounds like a Groucho Marx bit. Yes, where it's like, which most nineteenth century baseball does. It's like don't you dare light those candles. <laughs> I'll blow him out. So anyway, the umpire blows him out and and then he keeps lighting them. And eventually you the umpire calls the game a forfeit. Oh, because he was lighting the candles. Because he was he was being a goofball, yeah. Damn. That's classic Arlie, I gotta say. It's like so he he would do that. Arlie, Arlie Latham. Latham is also the origin for one of your I don't know favorite, but most thought about baseball things, which is the coaching box. Oh, okay, like the like the basic like third and first base coaches boxes. Yeah, tell me more. I really okay. During Latham's day, there was no coaching box on the field that the third base coach was supposed to stand in. While the pitcher was in the middle of his lineup, Latham would run up and down the third baseline, screaming insults at the pitcher. Perhaps not coincidentally, Latham was reported to have been the first permanent base coach in Major League history. So he was just running up and down the line, talking mad shit at the pitcher while he was in third base. Baseball's rulemakers soon took the myriad of complaints about Latham's third base coaching adventures and put in the rules of the box we see today. In 1909, while coaching third base for the Giants, Latham, unable to run up and down the line, would do a somersault each time he waved a runner home to score. That's great. That's like some Savannah Bananas shit. Right. Yeah. Like, that's like big, you know, bananas energy. Um, that's amazing. I love that. Son of a bugler in the a, Union a Army. A, a bugler. A bugler. Not a burglar. Very different. But <laughs> a bugler is wow. Okay. Amazing. He was uh, the his dad was in the Union Army, so he's on the right side of history. So we Ooh, stand. We stand. Good. I didn't want to make it all the way into this like Arlie Latham party and be like, ah, damn it. Um, Now, the the last thing I'll say, okay? Yeah. He, his pops was in the Union Army and later he paid that forward and helped soldiers. During World War I, he went to England to organize baseball games for American soldiers stationed there. At one point, he was invited to Buckingham Palace to show King George V how to throw and catch a baseball and wound up staying in England for a while as the administrator of baseball. <laughs> administrator of baseball. Incredible story. I feel like, again, we've had the London series. Like we got to be referencing, our, like Arlie Latham's got to be a big part of that story. He goes up to King George. He's like, I really like the way you're rotating, but we just get you some force plates, like a mocap setup, get you thrown off no. the mound. 
Get that king. Get, to, get that king to tread. It's game over, man. Get that king. Get that king to drive line. Get a rap Soto in Buckingham Palace. I mean, there's so many rooms in there. We can't get a pitching lab in Buckingham Palace. Yeah, Arlie Latham's on. trying to develop here. Okay. Absolutely. He's trying to administer. Baseball administrator is is a hell of a term. There was all this fighting about King Felix this year, but who's the real king? Mm. King Felix Bautista, King Felix Hernandez, King George is the king, baby. Die. They had many many kings beforehand. Um, this is uh, tremendous. I do believe looking at his baseball reference page, he must have come up again. Steals we know were up this year. This dude stole 129 bases uh, in 1887, uh, and I had over 700 for his career. I believe he's like top five, top ten all time. So I imagine that's when I uh, maybe came across Arlie Latham's name at some point this season. But I had no idea that he was so important to many other parts of baseball history. So thank you for uh, thank you for informing me. I, Being I, called I, the f- the freshest man on earth is great too because if I told you that there was some like hip hop legend from 1982 who called himself the freshest man on earth, <laughs> you would assume fresh meant cool. But in this context, from 1882, fresh meant like a prankster. Right. But at the same time, like pretty ripe for a re- like a reference here, like has anyone dropped Arlie Latham in a rap song? Like, even if it was a different context, like, this is pretty good. Like, again, of course, okay, Action Bronson, but like, let's I was going to say, I, I don't know. Action like, Bronson's like heading to Buckingham, Buckingham Palace <laughs> to, teach, to teach the king baseball, call me the freshest man on earth. Exactly. Something like that. But we don't even need the Buckingham Palace part. Like it doesn't even, we don't even need any baseball reference. Like it just needs to be call me the freshest man on earth. I'm oh. late. <laughs> or like so. I, doing soft toss in the palace, call me art, call me the freshest man on earth. Anyway, a lot of opera, a lot of chances there. So uh if I've missed an early Latham hip hop reference, like please let me know. Let us uh, know. Otherwise, email thank us. You. If we missed Arlie Latham getting a shout out in an Action Bronson mm. song, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Yes, you can. Uh, this was a wonderful podcast, Jake Vince. I quite enjoyed it. Thank you to producer Chris for producing, as always. One more housekeeping note. This is something I brought up uh, a couple mm. weeks back and I wanted to mention again. Uh, we are looking to raise some money for our dear friend uh, Kendall Gilmet and his family. Uh, his wife, Molly, has been suffering from uh, long COVID for several years now and has impacted their family greatly. And they are uh, dealing with a lot of, of course, financial constraints and you know burden, I would say. And we want to help out because this is a family and someone, Kendall, who's helped us out since the very beginning, 10 years ago. And we want to do anything we can to support them. So Kendall uh, and his wife, Molly, have been running a series of fundraisers. We have posted about it. Um, and tweeted the, the basic GoFundMe link, but we wanted to add in something a little bit more special, especially for you who are listening to this podcast. We wanted to give people the opportunity to bid uh, t- on the chance to join us. So what we are going to do, you will see a post on Instagram here coming up on Friday uh, where you can bid, submit your bids to join us for a segment of Good, Bad, and Ugla on an upcoming episode of Baseball Barbacast. Exact timing TBD, but definitely in the next couple of weeks. So again, this bit we will we will auction this off, and the highest bidder uh, will will get to join us for an episode or a segment of Good Bad Nugla. So uh, check us out on Instagram, of course, Cespedes Barbecue on the BBQ on there. The details will be there. Obviously, we encourage you to support and and donate to Kendall and Molly 
anyway, even if you're not bidding on this opportunity to join us for some GBU action. Um, but otherwise, just wanted to mention that. So keep an eye out for that on our social media uh, in the coming hours after we post. Uh, but anyway, otherwise, this has been a delightful episode. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for joining me. Um, thank you to the baseball teams for giving us some wonderful stuff to talk about. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. And we'll be back on Monday. I have a feeling we'll have some more transactions to talk about. Uh, but until then, everyone enjoy your weekend. Stay warm. It's about to get real cold here in Indiana. And uh, we will talk to you all soon. Last words, Jake Mintz. Stay fresh and stay barnyard. <laughs> Bye. Serious XM Podcasts.